If you'd open your Bible to page 695, I have much to say and little time to really say it. On page 695, you'll find one of the most familiar verses in the Bible. We hear it read often. We hear it quoted more where old Jeremiah in his letter, and when you come to Jeremiah chapter 29, in fact, go back to verse 1. Let's, let's at least get this thing in context because oftentimes people take this verse and get it all out of context and they'll become either disillusioned or they'll lose their faith or lose their mind. But what we have in Jeremiah chapter 29, we have a letter that Jeremiah wrote the Jewish people that were in Babylonian captivity. He's back in Judah, in Jerusalem, and he writes them this letter. And he says, now these are the words uh, of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were scattered away captive to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. The Jewish people had somewhat turned their back on God. They were worshiping other idols. And, and, and what happens is Nebuchadnezzar comes over and uh, he takes this great group of Jewish people and puts them back in Babylonian captivity where they're going to be uh, for uh, 70 years. And the truth of the matter is it's not the Babylonians' fault they're there. It's not Nebuchadnezzar's fault they're there. Nebuchadnezzar is just a tool that God used to accomplish his purpose. It's the people of God. It's the Jewish people's fault. They were worshiping false gods, idolatry worship. Uh, God looked at his spiritual adultery, and so this is kind of how they get in this place. If you look down in verse 4, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, what he's saying is, you're in this mess because you got yourself in this mess. That would be a good sermon for another time. The fact is, most all of us in our life have found ourselves in a mess, and we got in the mess because we got ourselves in the mess. And that's exactly, there they are, they're just there kind of have lost hope. Now, verse 11 was a word of great encouragement, a tremendous promise that God gave Jeremiah to tell the Babylonian, tell the Jewish people in Babylonian captivity. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. So that's the promise. There they are in captivity thinking this is it forever. And God says, no, Jeremiah, you need to tell them I have a plan for them. They're ultimately going to be able to come back to their homeland. And uh, it's not going to be like this forever. In verse 12, he says, then you'll call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. What a promise. Now here's the condition to that promise. This, this whole idea that we just go through life, do everything we want to, God has a great plan for us and everything's going to be fine. That's not scriptural. And that's not what this scripture teaches. Here is the condition. Verse 13, you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. In other words, for us, not just show up on Sunday morning to church from time to time, uh, you know, but, but really with all of your heart, God be the main thing in all of your life. 
And he says, I will be found by you, says the Lord of hosts. Now, the point is, God has a plan for all of our lives. Now, I believe that the Bible teaches that. In fact, in the book of Psalms, the psalmist said, God's plans for us are too numerous to list. Now, what makes this challenging in life is, is we, we don't always know what God's plans are. And things are happening, and we don't understand that many times things that are happening have something to do with what is next going to happen, whether it be a short time or long time. And it, and it, it, it will put us in the plan that God has for us. We, we just don't see it. It's like a puzzle. Life is much like a puzzle. You take a thousand piece puzzle. Well, in fact, if you take it, you keep it. I don't want a thousand piece puzzle. Uh, but, but let's just say you have a 500 piece puzzle and you start putting that puzzle together and as you get near having it completed, the remaining pieces are very obvious, or more so. But back when you just start, let's say on a thousand-piece puzzle, here are all these pieces laid out, and you know, man, where do I start? Well, you start where you start. But as you work your way, and it, it's, it's nearing completed, then you look and you think, oh, this piece goes here and this piece goes here and this connects to this and this connects to that. Life is very much that way. Life can be very puzzling. It really can. But as you go along in life and the longer you live life, you, you, can, you look back and you say, hey, I never thought of when that happened connecting that with this. When that happened, I thought it was just a coincidence and you didn't think very much about it. Well, this is what we're going to be talking about today. It's what I'm talking about by connecting the dots. And, uh, you know, as you just live life and you look back and you think, well, you know, back, back when that took place, I had no idea that God had anything to do with that or God was going to use that to kind of move me to what God had planned for me. Now, with that little background, I want to just share a personal story to today how in my own life, and as I share, you think in your life, and you're going to find it to be the very same. Things have happened in your life in days gone by that just seem like they happened, maybe a coincidence, whatever, but you had no idea that God had anything to do with that. And that one day later on kind of connected over here to this, and this one day later on connected over that. And then one day you say, well, gracious, I didn't, I didn't get it. But God did have a plan for me, and, and God did things, allowed things, orchestrated things, and it, it kind of moved me to where once I saw it, I connected the dots, it made sense. Now, when, when God called me to preach, I was in the business world. Dottie was working at Delta Airlines, and, and we felt like that God was calling us into the ministry. And the story's too long. To, I just have to fast forward a lot of stuff. But the first thing I had to do, I had to get out of the business world and, and get in position to do what I need to do to prepare for the ministry. So about, oh, I guess just a few weeks before we moved from where we lived in Atlanta, Georgia, to Fort Worth, Texas, to go to the seminary. And at that time, I'd ever been to Texas only one time, and that was to visit the seminary. Other than that, I'd never been to Texas. But we were going to be moving to Texas. And the church that in much of my growing up years that I had grown up in, 
invited me to come back one Sunday night and just share with the church. Many of them knew me as a little boy. Others knew me as a teenager. Others knew me as a young adult. When we, when Don and I were married, I joined her church. I joined her church. But my home church, they wanted me to come back. So one Sunday night, I went not to preach a sermon, but just to say, hey, folks, this is what God, we feel, has called us to do, and this is what we're going to be doing, and, and gave them enough details to so pray for me, just a little testimony kind of thing is all it was. Now, little did I know that that Sunday night, there were two ladies, they were sisters, and they were on the way to Fort Worth, Texas, because their brothers, one of their brothers' daughters was getting married. So they are going. One of them lived somewhere and the other one lived in Atlanta and they kind of met up there. And Sunday night, they decided to just go to church. And it, like, they, they were at that point kind of near where I was going to be giving this testimony. They, they, didn't, they didn't really know anything about what was going to happen. But anyway, these ladies just show up at church and and, and I shared with the church what I felt God called us to do. And when the service was over, uh, these, these two ladies came up and introduced themselves to me. And, and they said, our brother said, we're sisters and we just wanted to go to church tonight. And, and one lived elsewhere and one lived a long way. Somehow they had met close by. And we just tried to find a church, having church. And we just came and we've listened to your testimony. And she said this to me. She said, my brother is pastor, the pastor of Travis Avenue Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas, which I knew absolutely nothing about. Told me his name, Dr. James Coggett. She said, when I get out to Fort Worth, we're going to a wedding. I'm going to tell my brother about you because he's looking for someone to be on his church staff that I think you would just be a perfect fit. Now, I've never met these people. Well, I was, you know, I thought, what a sweet thing for somebody to say. I really never thought any more about it. Well, about a week or two later, we were still in the process of moving. I received this letter from this Dr. James Coggin at Pastor Travis Adventist Church said, my sisters met you at a, you spoke about what God was doing. When you get out to Fort Worth, I would like for you to call my office. I'd like to uh, visit with you and just get to know you. Well, I, I really be honest. I, I just thought, hey, this guy just probably writes all the new seminary students. I, I didn't think any more much about it. And so we, we finally get to Fort Worth and, and, uh, we, we went that Sunday. We didn't know any church. We said, well, we'll just go to this Travis Avenue Baptist Church. We had to find out where it was. And we went. We put little John in the nursery. And uh, he wasn't very happy about that. But we did. And, it, of course, that meant Dottie wasn't very happy either. He wasn't happy. But anyway, we went in this church. Now, you need to understand, if you're not one of the people who heard my stories, I grew up in rural Georgia. That's where I grew up. Now, when I was in the sixth grade, we moved to what was called town. We moved to a town called East Point, Georgia. And it's kind of like Pasadena Deer Park and the port. The, the Atlanta airport actually is in Atlanta, but it actually used to be hateful. That was H-A-P-E-V-I-L-L-E. -L -L -E. Hateful was a, a, little, a, a little town, and right next door to it was College Park, and right next door to that was East Point. That was called the Tri-Cities. And each, like Deer Park, LaPorte, Pasadena, they just all kind of hooked on together. And the airport took most of College Park. It took a lot of, uh, of hateful and uh, kind of annexed it in and, and built it. But be that as it may, uh, 
How did I get off on that? We, okay, oh yeah, okay. So I'm in the sixth grade and we moved to East Point. So we've moved out of the country. We've moved to Deer Park or Pasadena type or, or, or Laporte type. You know, we've, to us, we'd moved to town from where we live. And, uh, but I grew up going to just a, a, a small but a very good uh, country church. But like our church... You know, I mean, we'd have like maybe 300 people in the church where I grew up, something like that. And, uh, but I was just blessed by my Sunday school teachers. All. But we get out here to Travis Avenue, and like this church had more members than the whole county had where I grew up. And I was just intimidated, unbelievable, by the size of this place. At that time, not today, but at that time, it was, if it wasn't the largest, it was one of the largest worship centers in Southern Baptist Convention. It's an old traditional, long, man, you need binoculars if you're in the back of that thing. Well, we went in that day, and, and we sat right in the very back. And uh, homesick would be the understatement. And uh, at the end of the service, Dottie said to me, we need to go down and speak to this Dr. Coggin. He wrote you a letter. I said, well, I'm not going to speak to him. He wouldn't know me for sack salt. She said, the man wrote you a letter. And it, she said, we should go down and tell him he preached a good sermon, introduced ourselves. And I must say, had it not been for her, I would have never done that. I just, I, I just, I thought this church is too big. I want out. Um, I want to go back to the country in rural Georgia. I just was him. But anyway, sometimes wives win. And uh, I, we went down, got in this long line, everybody going down to speak to this pastor at the front. And uh, we got down and uh, we got there. And I, I stuck out my hand. I said, uh, Dr. Coggett, I'm Charles Redmond. And before I could even say this is my wife, Dottie, he said, boy, where have you been? I said, sir, he said, I wrote you a letter and asked you to contact me, and uh, you've not. Could you be in my office tomorrow at 2 o'clock? And I said, well, yes, sir, I can. And I went the next day, and he said, I've done uh, background work on you, and I have, I'm looking for someone to come be my assistant pastor, and I think you would just be exactly what I need. And then here's what he said. I don't know if I've ever told this part of the church. He said, I have three daughters I've never had a son. I want you to be my son in the ministry. And, and I became that for Dr. James Coggin. No one ever mentored me and helped me and loved me more than I had with him in those three years I was there. Now, I say that to say this. Back when those two ladies were telling me, you know, <laughs> what they told me that night, I had no idea until I got out to his office and I thought, hey, what happened to me back on that Sunday night? I'm, I'm beginning to connect the dots. Now, let me tell you what, the story goes on. So I'm at Travis Avenue, I'm there three years, and um, one of the staff members of Travis Avenue had family in the Tennessee church where we left, when we graduated from seminary, we went to Tennessee. And uh, had I thought, had I known, well, I knew he couldn't. It, had it been possible, Dr. Coggin would have lived forever. I never would have left Travis Avenue. I would have worked under him the rest of my life and been very fulfilled. But I knew that would not be the case. So I said, you know, God called me to pastor, and that's what I'm going to go do. And he was very helpful in that. But anyway, this staff member said to me one day, hey, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, their church needs a pastor. 
And he said, uh, it's an unusual situation. They had a really great pastor for about 11 years, and unexpectedly, he died. And the church is just going through a great grieving process, and they're really having a hard time finding, you know, who they think would work for them. And would you mind if I just gave them your name? I said, well, his name's Jim Sewell. I said, well, Jim, you know, I... If that's what you feel led to do, I mean, fine. Well, he did. It, long story short, th- that's where we went. So what I'm, now here's, here's the deal. The two ladies back that Sunday night, I wind up at Travis Avenue with those dots connected. While I'm at Travis Avenue, <laughs> Jim Sewell, he had mother-in-law and father-in-law in the Tennessee church. So if I'd never been at Travis, I never would have gone to that church, I don't think. And so I began to connect all those dots. Now, while I'm in Tennessee, I'm there about nine years. One day, had no idea, Dr. David Garland, who had been my Old Testament professor in seminary and had preached in my church several times in Tennessee, but I'd not heard from Dr. Garland in a long time. He's driving from Fort Worth, Texas to Texarkana, and he gets down to Sulphur Springs and feels led of God to get off the interstate this is back before cell phones, or at least before he had one. He stopped at a gas station right there on Broadway Street and I-30, got out and went in a pay phone booth and called a man that he knew in the First Baptist Church, Sulphur Springs, because he had preached in that church also, and said, I just feel led of God to give you a name of somebody that I think would be good for your church. And he gave my name. I had no idea he did. I didn't have any idea that. Now, I say that to say this. During our years in seminary, Dr. Garland kind of took us under his wings. And, and, and what a blessing he has, was. He's now with the Lord. Uh, in fact, the New King James Version Bible, he's one of the translators. And in my office, if you're one of the translators, they give you X number of free Bibles to thank you for doing that. One of those Bibles, he wrote the most beautiful thing about me, to me to encourage me and gave me that Bible I cherish this day. But I'm saying then, uh, that, that dot, you know, these dots just keep on connecting. Now, I wish I could tell you about the dot that got me here. To my knowledge, nobody recommended me to this church. And I've questioned the pulpit about that. <laughs> they, they said, well, what? well, they had a different way of going about, that pulpit did, trying to find a list, and they had a list of about 60-something people, but they had criteria to be on that list. They wanted people who had been at churches, that stayed at churches for several years, not just two, three-year guys. They wanted churches that had grown their Sunday schools, churches that had baptized a uh, hundred or more people a year for a consistent number of years. So when you, when you put all that criteria together, you don't come up with a name of a person, but you come up with a kind of a profile, and then you go study people that fit that profile. And, but to my knowledge, nobody, that, that's just how they ran upon, upon my name. So I don't really have a doubt. Now, when I get in heaven, I may find it different. Now, they call people once they begin to deal with me and, and ask, you know, does this guy get drunk at night? Does he steal the offering? You know, that kind of stuff. Is he honest? That kind of thing. But I'm saying I don't have a dot to tell here. But, but, you know, as I think about that, the Bible says the steps of the godly are directed by the Lord, and he delights in every detail of their lives. You know, that, God just kind of put this on my heart to talk about day. You know, God doesn't, you know, God, I'm, listen, God has a plan for all of you, just like God has plans for me. 
And everybody's plan is not to be a preacher. That'd be a messed up world, wouldn't it? Everybody's a preacher. Be nobody to give any money to run the church. So you, you, yeah. But God does have a plan. And, and I know you know part of what God's plan for your life is. And some things, maybe the plan for Christians is all do the same thing. But, but the point I make is this, and it's a good point. Sometimes in life, when we get in situations and, 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 and they're difficult, kind of like the, the exile the Jewish people were in. You know, sometimes people are in a physical thing. It's just like an exile or they've lost hope or, or whatever it may be. We just need to remember that whatever we go through, if we'll just live a, a godly life as best we can, trust the Lord, we'll begin to see, hey, even what I'm going through, I see how God has kind of used that and connected how I can do something over here. I've seen this over and over and over since Dottie went through chemotherapy. I mean, nobody would say, I want to go through chemotherapy. We sure wouldn't want to go through that. Not again. But I'm telling you what, her having gone through that, I've watched God connect that dot to this person, to that person, to people we've not even known that were in, had just lost hope. And I'm saying to you, even the bad things, difficult things you wish hadn't happened in your life, the fact of the matter is, it might just be something like a dot that God will use to connect it with another thing and another thing to help you find, live out the plan and purpose God has for your life. Well, Lord, I do thank you that we're not just down here breathing and have no purpose in being here. We all have a purpose in being here, God. We do. And help us as we live our lives to live godly lives, knowing that you will direct our steps. And God, may we be used as an instrument to be a dot even for others to help them move to another place where it'll be a dot that connects to help them find their purpose and place in life. Lord, bless each one here today. Thank you for the joy of being at Tuesday Bible Lunch. Help us live a, a good week. Help us be safe this week. Help us to be a blessing this week. In Jesus' name, amen.